The Hall of Justice podcast will begin in a moment. But first, a message from the legal guys. Have you been in an accident? Call 1-800-THE-LAW-2. I was driving on a two-lane road, and someone sideswiped me, came into my lane, and smashed right into the passenger side door. Fortunately, and why I didn't say this sooner, is because no one was in the car with me. If my young child or my spouse had been in the car, my life would have been changed forever. But I was driving in the left lane. I was not at fault. That's when you call the legal guys. If you are injured in an accident, if you're not at fault, these are the guys that helped me and they can help you too. Call 1-800-THE-LAW-2. That's 1-800-843-5292. If the accident has taken place within the last two years, they can help. Trust me, folks, when you're dealing with a car accident, especially when you're not at fault, there are a lot of complicated things involved with a car accident. These guys can make it easier. The legal guys. Call them. 1-800-THE-LAW-2. Now stay tuned for the Hall of Justice. Gathered together from the cosmic reaches of the universe, here in this great Hall of Justice... Superheroes have to be around other superheroes. You know what I mean? That's the Hall of Justice is more about them just commiserating about their powers and less about them like actually fighting crime. Everett is the best there is at what he does, Bob. And what he does is the Hall of Justice podcast. Go, go, go with a smile. Hey again, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Hall of Justice. This is episode 260. We thank you for listening. Thank you for the uh, subscriptions, the ratings, all of it. Uh, we really appreciate the, uh, the praise that we get on social media. Believe me, this is a passion project. So to get it from you guys really, really does mean a lot. You know, the uh, the HBO Max just concluded their season three of the TV show Titans. We haven't done a Titans episode in a long time, and this is not a Titans episode. But uh, Titans season three, they focused on the Red Hood. Jason Todd came back uh, to be the Red Hood. And when I saw that, I said, wait a second, that is the story of, from the comic book, the amazing comic book. And then it turned into this incredible DC animated film that we have talked about on the podcast dozens of times uh, under the Red Hood, which is an amazing. And then I realized that there was a chance on social media that I knew the creator of the Red Hood. And when you think about the creator of the Red Hood, we could do the whole episode just on that. Then you get to his other characters that he's created. Then you get to the amazing uh, story that he's told. Then you find out about the whole MTV real world stuff. 
And then I have to say that one of uh, Judd's amazing graphic novels, Pedro and Me, was something that I read when my best friend was killed. And it was something that resonated with me. And I've been an admirer of our guest today for such a long time. And I'm pleased to welcome Judd Winnick to the Hall of Justice. Judd, I, I cannot tell you how excited I am to have you on the show. This is going to be such a fun chat. Oh, thank you, sir. And thank you for having me. And, and thank you for that very generous introduction. I, I almost interrupted you a couple of times to, to, to thank you as you went along there. Oh, that was I very generous. It was because I got it something wrong. That's usually nah, why people nah, interrupt nah. me. No, hardly, hardly. No, quite the opposite. Quite the opposite. Well, you know, except, you know, the, the accolades were, were heavy yeah. on the accolades. So it was a little um, heavy. Yeah. But I was, you already I agreed was, to come on. So, you know, I no, didn't need that many accolades. No, I, no. I the brown nosing portion of the, of the program was over. You were good. <laughs> um, you know, before we, we, we get into the, you know, this is your life portion of, of, of the podcast. Um, what was your impression of Titan season three? And, um, what did you think of it's a it's a different st stint on the storyline that you had so brilliantly a written in the comic books, but you wrote the screenplay for Under the Red Hood, which I, I've said all along, like some of the lines in that movie are some of the best Batman lines you've ever seen. Um, <laughs> this was very different. Bruce is barely in it and it's very Titans heavy and it's different. But what did you think of that? knowing how near and dear to your heart that character is. Well, I have to be honest. I'm only four episodes in uh, to Titans. Um, I watched it, uh, watch it with my son, and he had, to, he had to take a quick break, and we were watching some other stuff. So I'm four episodes in. Can't judge okay. completely, so I'm just saying four episodes in. Um, and, uh, and it's a blast. You know, it's... Um, it, is it know, a compliment when you see your characters like that? Oh, sure. You know, you don't intend to when you create these characters for, you know, for the, for the mainstream superhero comics, when you create a character and when you create a character that's based on other characters, it's not entirely your creation. This is just the, it's just the stuff you get to work with. I mean, that in a good way, um, you put it out there and uh, you know, a lot of times it's just never, ever seen again. Uh, what's a lot of fun about Jason Todd Red Hood is that it's had um, such a long life <laughs> after, after I've left this, you know, after I left the book, after I left, uh, Batman for a while, um, you know, he's pop, he's popped up in animated series. He's popped up in video games many times over. Um, you know, now we've got him in live action, you know, there's, there's rumors flowing around that it's going to be in a live action feature or whatever. So I am very, very much of the mind that. Most superhero comics, with most superhero comics, no, superhero comics, mainstream superhero comics are fan fiction. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we, we all get to, you know, we're all basically just kids uh, who grew up reading this stuff and then finally we get a crack at it. Uh, in this case, uh, I got to do a really, really fun piece of fan fiction, which actually stuck. So here we are a decade and change later and Jason Todd, Red Hood, still running around. It's a blast. It is. Uh, it, it's, it's good to hear you say that. Um, I, I'm not going to ignore the elephant in the room then. Um, there have been recent uh, revelations when the TV show, the Disney Plus show, Falcon and the Winter Soldier came out when Ed Brubaker was a guest on a bunch of shows and he was just saying how um, it hurts him <laughs> to see this character uh, see all these shades of life because he was a work for hire and he did a job and 
he closed right. the book on that on that character. The Winter Soldier, it's it's very similar to the Red Hood in that in that, you know, he didn't create Bucky Barnes. You didn't create Jason Todd, you know, but you kind of took that character and gave it a new life. And Disney's made a billion dollars. <laughs> well, Ed, oddly enough, I mean, I know I know Ed. I've known Ed, Ed yeah. Brubaker for for a long time, um, and oddly, both our storylines came out roughly around the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and I actually agree with Ed uh, almost right down the line. Uh, I mean, I think Ed's the heart. I mean, it's a it's a much longer conversation, and and Ed spoke at length about it. I and and I think his point. And to put it very succinctly, all of us go into this with our eyes open. We don't think like, oh, no, but I created this character, even though we've, we, you know, it's, it's established from other existing work that you've created. And also we know that we make a deal with you all that what we create, you all own, unless it's wholly an original character. And then you get a larger piece of the action or what have you. Um, but I think Ed's point was, after all of this, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, you know, they made they made it into, you know, made it into a movie, which was awesome. They gave Ed a little nod and gave him a cameo. Come on down. So a little fun. Now they made an entire television series. And I think uh, he didn't know about that until till we knew about it. Um, and also, look, they don't owe him anything legally, but come on now. He created this character well, using that's his story. Right. That's the argument. It's it's when yeah. you're talking about b- billions with a B, throw right. Ed Brubaker a bone. But, you know, then then it begs the question, you know, should Warner Brothers do the same thing with you, especially if there's going to be a Red Hood move? Well, for one, there isn't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not let's I'm, I'm not. Gonna I mean, the animated movie did well, but that's not it, that's peanuts compared to what the Captain America Winter Soldier movie. Well, I, and I and I wrote the animated movie and I was I was I was yeah. I was I was paid, paid for, for as a screenwriter. Yeah. I worked on it, you know. I was I was the writer of it. Um I've not gotten a phone call from anybody about to writing the the live action adaptation of the Red Hood in any way shape or form. Um but you know, look, <laughs> but they have um, your phone number. They do. They they know where to find me. Um yeah, I mean I think uh I actually think it's very very important that uh that someone of Ed's stature to step up and make a point that, look, I'm not saying he's saying that he's, that, that he's not saying that, that anyone has any kind of legal stance at all. Um, but p- putting that aside, isn't it just the right thing to do? There's like a, you know, a gigantic pile of money being made off these characters. Would it be the, would it be just criminal <laughs> to go back to the writer and the artist and say, Hey, you know what? Thanks for this here's a small pile of money which for us is just the tiniest piece it's a crumb off the big pie but we know it would probably mean a lot to y'all uh, as well as just you know again just the right thing to do w- yeah. wouldn't be the worst thing to do just you know um dc comics actually had a history of um here and there when they use one of your characters property storylines they'll write you a check and it was always purely um, not anything they were obligated to do. It was just a little, it was a little thank you money. Right. Um, they had done that. They had done that. Um, very cool. No, so good to know. Yeah. So I don't know, again, um, I don't know what's going to happen next with the Red Hood. Uh, no one's contacted me about any of that. And uh, yeah, I'll say again, uh, Ed makes a very, very strong point um, right. that I, that, that I agree with. 
It, um, it moved me. And I, I remember calling a mutual friend. Uh, I'm sure you and I have a lot of mutual friends, but Ron sure. Mars, uh, who's been on the podcast before. Um, yeah. Ron's a, a great guy. Ron created Kyle Rayner. Yes, he did. And he brought up the same point that you're making. You know, it's the same same idea that, you know, legally he, he's not owed anything if Kyle Rayner is in this new HBO Max series. If if that's where they go, that's that's where they go. And he watches that character the same way Ed sees the Winter Soldier, the same way you see the Red Hood on t- Titans. And there's something. But I, I, I kind of want to steer the conversation a little bit and and your take on some of the mass media that is creator own content, Invincible, the Umbrella Academy, the boys, um, you know, it, it, it seems to go on and on and on and on. And what you're seeing now, and I think Netflix is in an interesting position because, you know, DC is with Warner Brothers on HBO Max and, and uh, uh, Marvel is with Disney and, and they have their thing. But Netflix is, has billions of dollars and is spending it on content and they want superhero genre stuff. And, right. you know, when you see the boys or when you see Invincible, you see stuff that easily could have been a DC or Marvel property. It's just they didn't want to give it to DC or Marvel. They wanted to own it. And so they went that route. How has that shaped your life in the way you're writing and what you're writing, you know, to kind of are you in, a, in any way hesitant to stay away from the quote unquote big two to say that if, 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 if I am blessed with something amazing again, I want it to be mine. Is, is, is there that that hook? And it's not just for you, Judd Winnick, but it's for all comic book creators. Well, um it's a larger conversation, uh, but it's got deep really I'll, quickly. No, no, it's no. It's, it's, <laughs> I mean, it's it's also a dollars and cents conversation. I hope people stay with us. Um, I'll put it this way. Um, so I have my own series now um, for, that I do uh, for Random House uh, Children's Books. It's called Hilo. I, I write and draw it. It's my property. Um, the eighth book comes out next year. You know, um, it does quite well. Uh, I'm very, very lucky. And, uh, and also I own the property. Mm-hmm. Um, Random House has the publishing rights, um, you know, per, per book. Um, and it's funny, many comic creators would come to me and ask me, what is the creator owned deal over at Random House or other mainstream publishers? And I had to explain to them like, oh, well, they have a different name for the creator owned deal. They call it the deal. <laughs> that's, that's that's all it is like this is how it's worked in mainstream publishing forever yeah. the idea that you will have a book published from a publisher uh, in most cases you know it was, it was prose and the idea that your publisher would own all of the rights and then in turn could sell the property as a motion picture or a television show or whatnot and the author had no say in it or wouldn't necessarily um, reap any financial reward was absurd. The mm. publisher always had the publishing rights. And by the way, when it comes to series, in a lot of cases, they don't have the rights to the series. They have the rights to the books that they've contracted. So right. hypothetically, if I were to leave Random House, which I will not be. <laughs> want that let noted. Make, want, want that noted. Let this me, is hypothetical only. Hypothetical only. If I were to like take the next three <laughs> Hilo books and want to go to a different publisher, I could. Um, now the those the the original 
nine books stay with Random House, but the books from there on in stay with a different publisher. For I going all the way back, comic books were founded on a uh, a, a corporation uh, stealing Superman away from a couple of Jewish teenagers. That's where it started, yep. and it never has gotten back on the right foot. Uh, there's always an expectation that if you are creating a comic book character uh, for one of the big two, they own it. Why? That's just how we've always done it. That's the answer. Uh, well, it's a corporation. We can't do anything about it. And then there comes the creator-owned deals, which if you want to come in there and do a book for them where you own uh, the property, it's you don't own the property quite outright. It's a, it's a partnership. Mm -hmm. um, they also pay you a lot less money. Um, they're a lot less interested in doing the creator-owned deals particularly because they can't own the, the rights and also particularly because they might sell 12, 13,000 copies rather than 50 to a hundred. They're not, they're in general, the big two are not that interested in doing new properties because they don't sell very well. They'd rather, you know, as well, it makes sense. They have these characters that have sure. been around 80 years. They do quite well. Why do we have to get into the business of doing new characters outside of the superhero universe? Why do that? So from their angle, and by the way, this is, it becomes a, an issue where it's barely about human beings anymore. It's about the corporation. You know, most of the people that I worked with at DC Comics are no longer there. Mm. Um, if I were to go back and work at DC Comics, I'm working with whole new people. And the folks I worked with who might've offered up, like, you know, I said, Hey, I've got this project I want to do. It's creator owned. You know, they, these were people I worked with who were going to hand me this crappy deal. Cause that's the, that's the deal that was available. Mm -hmm. They're not really interested in doing that. They are more interested in trying to, you know, make the best justice league, Superman, Batman books imaginable, which they own part and parcel, which in the last, let's say eight, nine years, uh, actually do better because of TV and motion pictures, which wasn't the case forever, forever. You know? I mean, yeah. since the Superman movie came out up until maybe Iron Man, um, when a movie came out, it didn't move the dial a little bit, didn't move the needle a little bit on superhero comics. Kids and grownups were not walking into comic stores and said, man, I just saw that Tim Burton Batman movie. Even X-Men? Um, even the, maybe. in 2000, the X-Men didn't have enough of a spike? Maybe. Okay. I don't think a lot. X-Men's okay. always done well, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, the, that's the thing, is that X-Men's always done great. Um, I mean, I will say that when Iron Man, the first Iron Man movie came out, uh, that, was, that, was an, that was an earthquake. Yeah. Um, because I think the folks at Warner Brothers wanted to know what the hell is Iron Man? Um, I think a lot of executives have never even heard of the character and they explain, well, he's a big character. Says, no, he's not. Spider-Man's a big character. The Hulk's a big character. Those X-Men are big characters. What the hell's an Iron Man? And it's like, why did it make just half a billion dollars? Um, where's our Iron Man? Where's our next Batman movie? And uh, then our, yeah, things- our Iron Man? Yeah, no, and things got a little ugly for a while after that. I think that's when, that's when DC Entertainment began. Uh, they started looking at like, these are properties we could develop. Anyway, circling back. Um, I think when you look at a company like Netflix, when you and you also look at uh, Marvel and DC as far as their properties, um, yeah, they don't have a lot of creator-owned properties because they don't offer a, a lot up to creators to come to them with those deals. There's a few, 
there's a handful of, of, of folks who probably get good creator-owned deals. But again, um, that's, not, that's not the business they're in. Um, maybe they might be. Yeah, they, they, you know, maybe they, they might, might see that turn. We'll see. Um, right now, um, I was luckily ahead of the curve for the first time in my career. Um, and I started doing an all ages graphic novel series before they became, you know, gigantic again. Um, you know, when we were kids, you know, everybody read comic books and then, uh, came the dark and gritty nineties and, and the two thousands. I was responsible for a lot of those dark and gritty comics that kiddos didn't read. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm not, those, I'm, those comic books spoke, you know, I, I, my, my, my whole connection to comics was as a, as a college kid. Um, you mm-hmm, know, I was always mm-hmm. into animation, but right. I was sent for the campus television station. Uh, I was, I was, you know, getting into broadcasting. I was sent for the campus television station to cover the death of Superman in 92. <laughs> and I went in and I, I, I went back to that comic book store. Cause I was like, there's something here. And it was when uh, Hal Jordan went nuts. Right. And, and started killing people and, and doing all these crazy things and the whole Kyle Rayner story. And that that's when I started catching up. And that's when you were writing green arrow and you were writing the outsiders and you were doing mm-hmm. all. And I, I was just collecting stuff like at that point, because that was my foray into comics. I read the classics, you know, I read the Frank sure. stuff, but that was because people at the stores were like, well, you can't do it. You have to read kingdom come like you, you, you have to. And but the reality of it is, is all that stuff in the 90s and 2000s was talking to me. I was 22 at that point and yeah. it was speaking to me. And and I was I, I can tell you as a creator, I, I was writing. I was writing for you. Right. I absolutely was. Um, if someone had come to me at that time and said, yeah, but what about a, what about a nine or 10 year old? There's never a comics for it's like, well, I'm not writing this for them. That's not for them. You know, right. it's it's the, the pendulum. You know, for there were there's numerous, numerous articles that we joked about forever, which were that came out for could be 20 years. You know, it's, it's the bam, pow, zap. Comics aren't for kids anymore. Um, and a lot of us were saying like, they haven't been for kids for a really, really long time. And I think I know we all wanted to be taken seriously. Uh, you know, we're not. And and everyone and many people in the it's mainstream media, yeah. you know, I know they, 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 when they, you know, you're doing these, these, uh, you're doing superhero comics, like, yes, like Batman and Archie, right? Things like that. Uh, Casper. I read Richie Rich when I was a kid. I can't tell you how many adult humans uh, in my 20s and 30s when I said I was writing comics would tell me about it. Oh, yeah, I used to read Richie Rich. Rich. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, okay. Okay. So I'm, yeah, I'm 51. So these were some of my contemporaries. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So there was there was a real desire on our part, and I mean, folks like myself and Greg Rucka and Jeff Johns, and sure. uh, later my buddy Brad Meltzer, and um, uh, great writer, uh, unbelievable you know, writer, and what he's doing yeah. now with those the little biographies for kids. Yes, the uh, so Ordinary Heroes series, the I Am Heroes. So yes, stinking brilliant. Yeah, yeah, no, and uh, drama Chris Eliopoulos, and they're yep. amazing. Um, these, these are, these are two of my closest friends. So I, I can do a half an hour just on their stuff. Easy. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, um, I had that feeling we had, Mark Wade on the, we had Mark Wade on the podcast once and it literally, I felt like the hour and a half wasn't enough. Like I needed to do five <laughs> hours. <laughs> well, the fun part about Mark is Mark can talk about other creators for, he can do 45 minutes easy, easy on, you know, on Neil Adams. 
Yeah. Um, oh, know, Neil just, Adams could do 45 minutes on Neil Adams. Neil Neil can do six he hours. Can talk, Neil Adams. He, he can, can go, talk. He's yes, he's he's quite comfortable and verbose. Yeah, for sure. He's got to be. I have to get him on the Hall of Justice. You know, whenever somebody's at an advanced age, I always say like, you know, that's really. I'll regret not having him on the podcast. Well, I think the fun of uh, Neil Adams, and then we'll get back to dark and gritty comics. Um, <laughs> he uh, uh, he 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 is shady, but he's got. 500 amazing stories oh yeah i mean just like top shelf jaw dropping like yeah no because he was right there in the room yep. proverbial room half the time um and great ones ones i won't even tell i'll i'll, I'll leave I'll, I'll leave that for him yeah. um that's like but yeah so i was talking there. about me jeff johns greg rucka um uh uh my buddy bradley Meltzer. a little bit later we um we were working really hard and in a lot of cases working together to uh you know try and uh do something different to to have books connect uh to do things that were serious things that had weight um and i do think well at least for myself um kind of got away from us a little bit um it, i mean a lot of it had to do with my i mean <laughs> to shine the perfect light on it my own son um so this was uh, about nine years ago uh, when he was seven uh he came to me and he wanted to read some of my Batman comics and I had to tell him, no, you may not read my Batman comics, <laughs> you know, like a lot of, you know, dead parents and decapitations and people getting yeah. stabbed. Um, and again, not overtly violent in my Batman run, but a little probably too intense for a seven year old. Yep. So I got him Jeff Smith's bone mm -hmm. from off mm -hmm. my shelf. Um, yeah. Yeah. And he just flipped for it. He just loved it yeah. is what he wanted. He wanted like an action adventure story that was kind of funny that he could get into. And he, God, he just loved it so, so, so much. Now, I, I happen to know Jeff Smith. He's a buddy of mine. Sure. I told Jeff, Jeff, my son just went crazy, go nuts for bone. And Jeff said, awesome. I'm going to send you guys something. So about two weeks later, he sent us an enormous box full of bone merchandise. Oh, and I mean, awesome. everything. Yeah, T-shirts, yeah. hats, posters, action figures, out-of-date calendars, like <laughs> chock full. I mean, it was, it, was, it was insane. All right. Everybody should have a friend like Jeff. Um, and so my son's room and life became a shrine to bone. Everything went up on the walls. Uh, he started playing with the action figures, like his yeah. bone figures are playing with stars figures. And me watching this happen, I got a little bit jealous <laughs> because I, you know, I, I'm a cartoonist. Yeah. Um, so I figured I should be able to come up with a story that my son likes as much as he likes bone. Um, and that's when it started. I mean, and it also clicked in with me that when I was a kid, again, I'm 51. When I was a kid, um, all comics were all ages. There was, you know, there is start, we started getting into a little tiny bit when I was a teenager, the idea of mature comics. Um, and that was a whole different thing. But everybody could pick up Batman. Everybody could pick up Spider-Man. Um, and the stories were not dumbed down. It was just a choice of... Um, your violence, your maturity, and also, you know, again, just making a decision like, yeah, everybody's going to read this. So let me, let me not mess with the focus too much. Um, and that's what I try to do with my own series it is it's marketed to kids, but I really just wanted high load to be something that yes, kids are going to read it, but I wanted, I wanted their moms and dads, if they, if they had to read it to them, I wanted if my other, my, other readers like you know who read my batman run or outsiders or what have you yeah, picked yeah. it up they weren't gonna go like oh god i gotta read this again uh it's like you know um 
I mean, case in point, I love Dr. Seuss. It's phenomenal. The, you know, the books are, are terrific. You try to read Green Eggs and Ham four nights in a row to your child. Oh, no. I've, I've done that. Yeah, no, you just, you know, <laughs> you start, you know, you start to lose it a little bit. You start seeing colors. The words don't mean anything anymore. So <laughs> I actually, I wanted to do an action adventure story that was for everybody. And again, this wasn't something I even considered going to DC or Marvel with. Right. Um, they were not, they're doing it more now. Uh, this is going back eight years ago when I first came up with it and, um, you know, and, and started, uh, started messing around with the idea of it and then moving forward. I didn't even think of doing, a, you know, an all-ages graphic novel kids, which is marketed to kids for DC or Marvel. Um, they just weren't doing that. Again, doing it more now. Um, so I was lucky. I wound up with this small, independent, uh, you know, publishing house called Random House. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're, I think, one of the things they can say the mom is mom and pop the, store. Yeah. Yeah. They're the <laughs> largest publisher of books in the English language. That's, that's, that's something I hear the folks in, uh, in PR say quite often. Sure, um, sure. So I'm very, very lucky. Now to get people to say, where can I find Hilo? Like in books, wherever books are sold. Wherever books are sold. <laughs> like, you know, bookstores, online, wherever books are sold, you can find it. So anywhere. Anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So my tangent leads to this. Um, I think what you're seeing now uh, with uh, all ages graphic novels, with the mainstreaming of superhero comics uh, into motion pictures, like, hey, you know what? All the Marvel movies, you know, that's for everybody. They are not making those movies saying like, well, they're, okay, they're, these are for kids. No, nor are they saying like, well, these are just for the grownups. No, no, it's your PG, PG-13 audience. Yep. Might be too intense for the five-year-olds, but seven, eight, nine. They're going to eat this stuff up. It's butter. Oh, man. You know, one of my favorite stories, God, I waited a while until he was old enough. Uh, my son, when he finally got to watch, I think he was eight, when he finally got to watch um, uh, Captain America, First Avenger. Mm. Um, we started watching it at home, mind you. We're watching it at home. Mm -hmm. And then he stood up from the couch and then he stayed on his feet for the next two hours he stood up the whole time oh, wow. watching it it was he was so, so excited gripping. yeah yeah oh and I, I, at one point i'm like dude sit down and i was like you know what the little man wants to sit up and stand up and watch this movie who am i to say so um <laughs> i think that's a huge piece of it you know i think a lot of uh uh these stories which are serialized they're big ongoing stories and, and who, uh, who on television. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. This, of, this, of course, this of course, giant... Netflix wants to, yeah. Of course, Netflix wants to do their own superhero stuff. You can do many of them. You can, you can bang out a good eight to 13 terrific episodes. And if that works, great. We'll come back next season and we'll do another story arc. That's what they're also doing. They're doing story arcs. They're not doing law and order. These aren't standalones. They're, you know, every episode leads into the next one. Yeah, but that Jupiter's Legacy is the other one that I was I was thinking about. Um, just the idea that you can feel, and you can feel this with mainstream stuff too. You know, a lot of times on this podcast, what we do is we we review things, and when mm -hmm. we do that, um, we always look at the story because we never. This is never going to be something where we talk about the acting. My, my whole uh, world on that 
is my Ryan Reynolds joke, which is Ryan Reynolds was great as Green Lantern. It's not his fault. He fought a cloud. Like, <laughs> yeah, of course. Right. <laughs> like, he mm-hmm. didn't make the cloud, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, right. You can tell when someone had ha- someone who's creating content in this genre has the affinity for what they're doing, that they love this stuff. And the analogy is, you know, you can tell Kirkman loves Invincible. You can tell Favreau loves The Mandalorian. Like he loves Star Wars. And right. the fact he, he, he cherishes every second that he's doing this stuff. And then you can see content where it's, it's a paycheck for people. And I'm not trying to call people out on this, but you can see in this day and age when there's that affinity. And when you guys were writing those books in the late 90s, early 2000s, I'll just say as a fan, you could tell that you had an appreciation for the genre that you took this stuff real seriously and you be damned if the reader didn't either. Thank you. Well, thank you for that. And I can tell the difference. That's not just punching a ticket and cashing a check. It was, it was absolutely true. It was a real, it was a really interesting and exciting time. We were always talking to one another. We were always working off one another. Dan DiDio would call me up with another crazy idea. Like, I want to do this. And it's like, okay, let's do it. You know, and then we huddle up and we figure out how we're going to do it. Um, or the, the one or two times he called me up with a crazy idea and, um, I said, I, I, I can't pull that one off. It's like, now nah, you sure? Like, no, nah, I, I don't think anyone would pull it off. That's the same. We can't do that. Um, you know, but it was all coming from a place of like, really just wanting to do something deeply interesting and fun, dramatic, exciting, the willingness to break things. Um, not, you know, that's, that is something also we, talk, we, we, we would debate about a lot that we are willing to, um, change is the wrong word, but it w- wasn't that we're willing to break things. Um, you know, looking at characters that, that didn't necessarily work in a certain way and try to figure out how they could and re- reinvent them and move this here. Occasionally, occasionally kill off characters for deep, dramatic, and emotional effect. I mean, that was the whole, that was one thing we, we, we talked about a lot um, over the course of the many crises that we made and all that is that. Yep. When a character was killed off, we weren't going to just kill someone off for effects. It was for a dramatic, resonant, emotional beat that would speed the entire story. And sometimes even it meant like, yeah, you know what? This character is a great idea, but they're, it's just a loser. Why don't we, can we build them up for like a year? Like, let's bring this character back and make them great. And then we're going to kill them off. And what happened, which invariably would always happen to us in a lot of, a lot of ways is that we would build a character up, get more invested in it. Then when it finally came time to, to pull the pin, mm. it's like, yeah, this is hard now. <laughs> it's, it's like we, we just like them so much, you know, or a storyline or a direction we were going in that we had, we had planned, like, this is going to happen. We're going to do it this way. And then we finally get there. It's like, oh, yeah, this is going to hurt. You know, this big dramatic beat that we've been planning for like a year. Here we go. It's time, um, you know, but yeah, we cared. We really, really did. Yeah. We always did. Right. It, uh, it informed, you know, I had 12 years of, uh, you know, my 10,000 hours of uh, action adventure storytelling came out of uh, DC Comics. 
Um, really. I mean, it's actually something Ed Brubaker and I would talk about a lot that it becomes this intuitive form of storytelling that can't be, it can't be learned. You just have to do it. He would talk about, um, is Ed now I'm talking about Ed, Ed, Ed Brubaker would be in writer's rooms and, uh, they would be working out some, some big kind of story arc beat or a character beat or whatnot. And something wasn't working, like they hit an impasse and Ed would be the one that's like, well, okay, what if we, what if we take this character and they do this? And then this other one does this, this one doesn't do this at all. And this one goes here and then it takes us back to here. And then we can do that. And he said, the room would always say, how the hell did you just do that? Because, Oh, um, superhero comics, you know, <laughs> for, for one, you just get used to, you, you know, it's like that scene in the matrix where they're talking about like, yeah, you know, it's like, you see all those numbers coming down, but I see blonde, brunette, redhead. It's like, I can see what the numbers look like. I can see the matrix. Um, and, um, you know, it would happen for me too. Like, you know, and for me, it was just one-on-one with my editor. Something wasn't working. And I said, oh, okay, I see that. What if that, what if I do this instead and do that? And we'll have this character do this and then we'll do that. Like, did you work this out before we talked? Like, no, why? It's like, well, superhero comics. Um, you know, you know, and, and you also, you have to learn quickly, like, hey, so you can't use Nightwing in that run. What? It's like, what are you talking about? It's like, it's like those five issues you're planning and Nightwing's going to be in it. You can't do it. Why? Well, he's going to have a broken leg in his own book and he's not going to be running around like, what the hell has he got a broken leg for? He's Nightwing. It's like, doesn't matter. You can't use him. It's like, God, ah, okay. Okay. And then suddenly you're like, oh, you know what? I can do that. It's like, no, I'm not going to use Martian Manhunter. Stop telling me to use Martian Manhunter. I'm not going to. Um, but, uh, should be a fly no, on the wall for these conversations. Yeah, no. I mean, honestly, sometimes like, I want to use this big character. It's like, well, you can't use them, but how about the ultra humanite? Like, no, go away. Go away. No. I'm going to go think about this. I'll come back to something else. And you come back and like, hey, what about Catwoman? Oh, that's kind of interesting. Catwoman in this arc? Like, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I think she's doing, don't care what she's doing elsewhere. You know, I'm, I'm going to use Catwoman. You already took Nightwing away from me. I'm going to use Catwoman. So um, those things were amazing training as a storyteller because you're willing to you're willing to kill your babies. For those playing at home, the expression is like um, you have a great character or a great idea or a great concept, and suddenly you can't use it for whatever reason, uh -huh. and you describe it as killing your babies. In superhero comics, you got to kill your babies all the time for a variety of reasons. You're not allowed to use that character. It's not working for some reason. Um, someone turned around and said, like, that character's been dead for four years. Like, what? It's like, yeah, they did this little mini series of <laughs> not Titans, but it was like a young justice spinoff mini series, like that no one read. Yeah, that no one read, but she died. Okay. <laughs> Can I just bring her back? Like, it's they they really killed her. Like, okay, 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 okay. You know, that happens. Um <laughs> So for me, it's one of the things I'm deeply grateful about. It was, it was, it was exquisite and wonderful training. Um, you have this wealth of knowledge and skill about, you know, what it takes, sure. what it takes like, you know, to tell a story. And again, to, to get back to your point, the folks who are making those really good superhero TV shows and motion pictures and other stuff in the genre, like, you know, like your Mandalorians and whatnot. Yeah. 
they tell. love it to death. They just love you it to can, pieces. You can just tell, and you can feel it. You you can watch something and you walk away from it, and you say that the, whoever created this loves that stuff as much, or if not more, than you do, and you can feel it. You can you can you oh can for totally sure tell. Um, yeah. I, I want to hit a quick tangent, like a quick because right because I, I do want to ask you about MTV and the real world and Pedro. I really I, I I'd be remiss if we didn't get a chance to, to at least talk briefly about that. But my last superhero question is: you mentioned the serial nature of all this, yeah. and you know, for a generation of comic book readers, uh, for example, Wally West is the Flash. But right. the Flash hits television and it's Barry Allen again. Right. Uh, Oliver Queen took a step aside. It was uh, Connor Hawk for a while. And but, you know, if he's hitting television, it's Ollie uh, again. You know, Oliver Queen is, is back. But yet Dick Grayson doesn't become Robin again ever. <laughs> he stays yeah. Nightwing. He, he never. Right. Ne- what is your thought on the, the, the number ones the, the, the you know, the A team? When it comes to DC and these legacies, can someone else wear the costume? And is it possible that maybe Wally West is a better Flash than Barry Allen ever was? Just because the creators of the Wally West run are better writers than, than the Barry Allen, right? You know what I'm saying? And <laughs> I'm just using that as a, a, a for instance. But from as someone who's written all this stuff, it's just it's such an interesting thing to see the decisions to go back versus the decision to say yep no we're staying with this stuff like is bruce wayne always going to be batman well for that one yes <laughs> yeah, i guess that's a bad example well, no, 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 no and there's a lot of good examples and bad examples i mean uh, okay good example of uh when change is healthy uh and probably needed um like a lot of kids grew up uh their green lantern is john stewart yeah they watched him on the animated series the animated the um, amazing animated series yeah, yeah, no. And Phil Lamar's like, been on this uh, podcast. There you go. Exactly. So you know, m- you know. So my kids, when <laughs> when they started seeing another Green Lantern pop up, they want to know who this guy was. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it's like, yeah, that white guy is actually is Hal Jordan. He's actually the original. Well, sort of the original Green Lantern. There's a whole other Green Lantern. We'll talk about him later. Um, <laughs> uh, but um, I think, broadly speaking. Uh, some of these characters are coming up on 80, 90 years. Um, And uh, many of them are stuck in amber in a lot of ways. So like Batman and Superman are always going to be, you know, about 28 to 32 years old. Um, They're going to look like this. They're going to act like this. You know, Superman will forever, you know, be the orphan son of Krypton who landed on Earth. Batman will always be... um, you know, the billionaire's son who is uh, avenging the death of his parents. These are sort of the things that like got to stay. Um, those, those, those parts of the story, um, you know, and, and with that, when you jump mediums, when you go from the comics and you go over to TV, a lot of times like, well, let's just go back to the start. Let's go back to the source material. Um, I think it's a mistake in a lot of cases when it's like, Hey, so we're going to do a TV series based on the comic. And instead of doing the original character, we're going to go with, well, yeah, let's talk about Barry Allen and Wally West. Sure. Why, why do Wally West? <laughs> and, unless your whole point of the story, which would be interesting, is that he's the second Flash. Unless that's where you're starting. Right. You know, if not, like, 
Well, I, I thought the Grant Gustin show could have Grant Gustin could have been Wally because you cast John Wesley Ship. He could have been Barry. Yeah, yeah, no, and I, but you know, uh, I think for the mainstream crowd, we're just getting into like I'm. My mind is just blown that we're getting into the multiverse in in the main in the mainstream television and motion pictures. Yeah, yeah. Like there, this is just the the fact that uh, uh, Into the Spider Verse ah, was one was so good. It's like yeah. yeah, I I I can argue and with myself even that it's the best Spider Man movie. Um, you know, maybe ever of all of them. Um, even though I, I love Tom Holland dearly, um, but. Um, the fact that like now, like they made a story where like, yeah, you know how like there's multiple universes and different characters and whatnot. Now we're now we're getting into the real nerdy shit. Yeah. We're not playing around anymore. This is, <laughs> you know, and we're going to we're going to start with, you know, as we believe, as I think it's going to happen, you know, we're going to have three Spider-Men in this next Spider-Man movie. And if you would have told me 10 years ago, if you're listening ago, to like, this podcast in the future, by the way, you know how that movie goes. If we're yeah. wrong, don't come at us. And also, by the way, tell us how the flying car is. Continue. Yeah, exactly. And by the way, we're not wrong. It's going to happen. Uh, we're hundred percent right. It's absolutely going to happen. They're, they're completely and utterly in the movie. I would bet everything on it. Um, oh man. If they weren't doing it at this point, they would have had a press conference. I, Kevin Feige would have said, I, I'm on the phone on Zoom with Toby McGuire and Andrew Garfield. And they're not stop asking about it. It's really not going to happen. I don't want you to sit there for two hours and go every time a portal opens, like, here they are. Oh, no, it's just some other guy. Like, like, oh, uh, here it is. No, that's like a younger Willem Dafoe as Hobgoblin. Shit. Like, I did, you know, it's the hype is so big. They would have had to come in and like, like, carve it on Mount Rushmore to make sure no like they're not coming back or they're going to be in this movie. No, it's it's absolutely going to happen. It's going to be spectacular. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be great. But my point being social media uh, was hysterical with that trailer. Oh, oh, my oh God. We're, the, the, we're having so much everyone fun. has a theory. Everyone has a thing. It was all trending on social media. It was hysterical. It was I just I just so much when, fun. Oh, I hope it stays fun. I hope when the movie comes out that people try to behave themselves a little bit like this. Can we try? I mean, there are things that, that, you know, that, that were in Avengers Endgame, um, which um, yeah, I look they back kept on that like, pretty close to the vest. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. you knew, and, you knew all those heroes were coming back. You know, one of the things when, when infinity war came out, I criticized the snap. Because I said, you just made a billion dollars with Black Panther and you just reacquired rights to use Spider-Man. You didn't kill them. Like, <laughs> you, you didn't. Of course you know. they didn't. But, I mean, I was the only one. I, I mean, I honestly, we saw that for my son's birthday party. So oh, I'm there with like, I'm there with like 15 to 16, um, I guess. Uh, how many years ago was it? So like maybe like 11 or 12 year olds. Yeah. And so it ends and like, and all these Avengers are gone. And I'm like, wow, that was awesome. And I, I'm dealing with like a lot of like, like sad, sad children. And I'm like, oh, dude, this is part one. They're coming back. Like, are you sure? Like, they're absolutely coming back. This is a comic book. Trust me, they're coming of back. They're coming back. But, so they, but the fact back. that they went two hours, it was two hours into that movie. And they didn't hadn't come back yet. I, I know, couldn't but, get know, over that. They paid I, that I, thing off in spades. 15 minutes later, I'm standing in the lobby surrounded by these, these children. I'm explaining yeah. to them like, okay, this is what's going to happen for one. 
As you, when the movie ended, where were the Avengers? Were they together? <laughs> no. So the whole original team has to do what? That's right. Come back together and do what? Same That's today. right. Get everybody back. So if you'll notice, not all the original Avengers, none of them were snapped away, right? Right? Am I right? And yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah, comics, trust me. You know, <laughs> comics. Please, please, don't worry. <laughs> Children, don't worry, they're coming back. So we with the same with the same note, we're gonna see Toby McGuire and Andrew Garfield in that movie for sure, 100 percent Right. If Mark not, it. Mark, it's Mark this podcast right hey, here. Hey. I'm telling you, if if not, Kevin Feige is, is for the first time disappointed me. Not in the sense that he's not doing it, but but more in the sense that he didn't get in front of it and say like, you know, walk up to a podium right. with a Control microphone the and tap it yep. and say like, hey, this is not happening. <laughs> Just for what I said, because I myself, it's like, I, I know it's going to happen and I'm relaxed. Oh, they're coming. <laughs> they're definitely coming back. And it's just going to be like at some point. Like, there it is. Oh, there they are. You know, and like, oh my God, you know, like how far do they go with it? I don't know. Like, is Kirsten Dunst there? Is Emma Stone there? Yep. You know, I mean, um, for those who have not watched the trailer, you probably should have checked out a while ago um, for us talking about this. If you subscribe to this podcast, you saw that trailer. Yes. I don't, yeah, have, right. a, I don't have a question. I assume at 529, they were sitting by the computer like I was. Um, <laughs> now, I was... I, I, I'll put it another way. Just listen to me. I am 51 <laughs> years old. Okay. I am 51 years old and I am so excited. I want to die. Okay. My adrenaline is racing. I can't get there soon enough. They even made the coda to the ad to tell us the movie drops when December, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. That wasn't the date I was interested in. It's like, like tickets on sale. <laughs> That's the day, right? November nineteenth. Like, yep. got it. Okay, yeah, I'll I'll be up at five o'clock in the morning, burning up my phone on Fandango there to get my seats. <laughs> yep. Uh, so yeah, I, I, routinely. I mean, we brought up we brought up Brad Melser. So Bradley is uh, Bradley was my college roommate and uh, was a groomsman at my wedding and one of my closest friends. We talked. I don't know how many times a week. Um, so we were completely, we're completely nerding out about this in a way you can't even imagine. Um, you know, so just, so no, funny. I just, I still can't believe that they made the Avengers movie. Yeah. You know, I would, as a child, I would have gone without food for the opportunity to see all those characters in their own movies, much less like actually brought together. When they were so, brought together for that first Avengers movie, you couldn't get over it. I just, couldn't get over man. It. Oh, it's the, and when, it's, and when Charlie Cox referenced the Avengers fight with the alien Shatari in Daredevil, I said, yes. oh, my God, we're in a universe like this. It's is, one world. It's one world. one world. It all counts. And it, it, and as a completist, that meant you had to watch Inhumans and you had to watch Iron Fist and you had to watch all of that stuff because it was all connected. It's all right. in that universe. You know, it's, it's, it's when I was a kid, like the greatest thing that would happen, like, oh, my God, John Byrne is going to put all the Avengers in this issue of Fantastic Four. Yeah. They're all going to be in here. Yep. Like the Avengers, the Fantastic Four, uh, Silver Surfer, somebody else. Oh my God, this is the greatest ever. That yeah. was like the best. And now, <laughs> now, now they're in the movies and the TV shows, and they're just whew, it's, it's great. It's, a, it's 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 amazing. Um, I would be remiss if I if I had you on this podcast and I didn't go there. Um, 
you're a kid you are an aspiring artist slash writer you have uh ideas in your in your life you're 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 you you go to college you 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 have a career path and the real world comes about and i had a feeling you know i I, i'd seen interviews i'd done my research i kind of had a feeling where the conversation of this podcast was going to go i just want to take me to that time in your life when you said yep i'm going to be on mtv I, I just, I'm just, I'm just fascinated with that part, and then obviously Pedro. I, I, I can, I can do another hour on this, and I have done many hours on this, I'm so it's sure no problem. But, I, but I'll, uh, the, the simplest way to tell this is, uh, so I was, uh, um, well, we could start when I was 22 and uh, my senior year of college, and I'm watching, um, the uh, second Real World. I'm watching. Well, I think I'm still watching the first one, maybe. Yeah, I'm still watching the first one. Was on and, and just loving it, um, and I became a fan. From the beginning, like everybody, um, I came out of college. You're like five uh, years I, older than me, and I never watched the real world. It's so interesting. <laughs> you've you've got the rest of your life to catch up, sir. Don't yeah, worry. I guess I do. Streaming services. It's really easy <laughs> now. There's right. nothing you can't watch. You can go today. You can watch three seasons. If you hmm, wanna, Boba Fett been... or the real world. Let me think. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's not enough time for it all. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's my senior year of college. Uh, I I do a daily comic strip for. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I go to the University of Michigan. I'm, st- I'm studying art at they School had a big of Art. Loss University this week, if you're listening in, in basketball, they lost to Seton Hall. This I know. This I know. Uh, as a cartoonist, my, my interest open is with that. <laughs> it's a whole different conversation. It's yeah, a right. whole different conversation. It's a whole, totally different episode. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> so I did, I did, I did a comic strip for the Michigan Daily uh, for uh, four years, um, and I came out of there with a development deal to for universal press syndicate do a comic strip to get syndicated uh for those who don't know syndication are the companies that place comic strips into your daily newspapers it's it's pro ball it's it's the major leagues it's yep. the only way you become like a you know working cartoonist for reels for reels and I, I i wanted to do this since i was a kid so i had a development deal and the way the development deal was going to work is i was going to just do the comic strip for the syndicate uh, I was going to do them. I just, I, was, I just wasn't going to ink them. Uh, so I do the comic strip and for, for a year of development with them giving me notes and whatnot. And then after a year of, you know, uh, properly getting my comic strip in shape, then they were going to launch it into syndication. About nine months into that, um, they dropped me from my, my development deal because they didn't feel the strip was uh, strong enough for syndication. And you okay. could have just killed me. Uh, cause all my, yeah, cause all my dreams age at that true. point. Yep. Oh, I'm sure. 22. I'm yep. 22. I'm actually, I'm living in this shithole apartment with Brad Meltzer. Brad's working for, uh, for games magazine, mm. uh, writing his first novel, which was never published, uh, at night I'm working on my comic strip, you know, uh, so true Bohemia. Um, and anyway, I get dropped from my syndication deal. Um, uh, I have to move back in with my parents which was always a blast oh, yeah. uh, for any, for any 23 year old. Um, and there I am sitting on the couch and I'm watching uh, season two of the real world. And an ad comes up, you know, do you, you know, like, hi, uh, do you like the real world? Would you like to be on real world three San Francisco? Send us a letter and a photo telling us why. And there I am like, you know, checking my, myself for bed sores uh, as I'm, you know, living on my parents' couch. It's like, you know what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to do that. And I, I possessed enough narcissism that, um, yes, yeah, as, as many reality 
you know, people would for years and years to come that like, I have no usable talent or skills, except I think I am personable enough to be on television. I think I'm just interesting enough that I should be on a television show and people should watch and listen to me. So, so there I started, uh, I started the process of, uh, you know, they would never call it an audition process. It was just, um, you know, just trying out for the show. So it took six months and, uh, six months later after, you know, interviews and videotapes and all this jazz, um, I got on the show, which, uh, you know, it seems small by comparison today, but 30,000 people tried out. And, uh, I was one of the lucky people who got on there and it simply, of course, changed my life in ways that I never had even imagined. Um, you know, I did this, it was, it was just supposed to be this wonderful, stupid thing. Mm -hmm. I was going to go on television. Uh, I was hoping that it would probably hopefully, hopefully help me like find work. Um, you know, uh, maybe I get a couple, uh, get a couple of dates out of it. I don't know, you know, uh, but on point, uh, my, my, my roommate on the show is a young man by name Pedro Zamora, who is a 22-year-old AIDS educator and activist. And uh, quickly, I learned, and we all learned, that something far more important is going to happen during our season. Um, and with that, one of my housemates was a young woman named Pam Ling, who, yeah. when the show was over, a couple of months later, we started dating. And then we moved in together and then we got married and, uh, and we have a life together and, <laughs> and yada, yada, uh, yada. My kid's 12 and <laughs> yeah, no, I've got, I'm, I've got a 13 year old and a, and a 16 year old. Yep. Uh, we have a 13 year and 16 year old and yes, I'm, I'm in the studio right now of the house that Pam and I own together. I mean, that's all I went on the show, met someone, fell in love. And if I didn't get on the stupid reality show, you know, I wouldn't have met my wife yeah. and these human beings who are going to be coming home from school in a couple hours wouldn't exist. I try not to even think about it because uh, it's too, it's too scary, a high wire act. And as far as Pedro, I can, I can talk endlessly about it. I was honored to have been a part of his life for as briefly as, as, as I was, but um, it turned out to be right. Yeah, no. And, but as important it was, you know, it's, it's been 27 years and people, are still moved by his story, inspired by his story, inspired by his life, and uh, are motivated to change their lives. Anything from coming out to their parents or their friends or their family or uh, become involved in uh, AIDS education or, or gay rights, or just in the smallest way, just see themselves represented on television in a way that they never had. Um, and that is remarkable. That is absolutely remarkable. And as a storyteller, um, I also owe everything to Pedro. Um, very long story short, gang, I was doing, I finally did get syndicated. I was doing my comic strip. It was called Frumpy the Clown. Um, this was after a couple of years of touring the country and lecturing uh, about his education more particularly. I would talk, I would give this lecture about Pedro what it was right. like to know him and what it was like to this was after he died after he passed away. Yeah. He yeah. passed away in November of 94. Um, and uh, I'd stopped lecturing, uh, but I got this idea in my head that I wanted to introduce a character into my comic strip that was a little bit like Pedro. And maybe I could start telling a story in that way. And it honestly seemed kind of trite. It seemed uh, kind of just a little bit unworthy of his story. So I decided to start maybe trying to tell it as a book. 
and I'd never done this before. I'd only done comic strips and illustration and spot, you know, one panel cartoons, that sort of thing. I'd never done a graphic novel before. So I learned by doing. And the first story that I really told was about Pedro. And, you know, that would, that would become my graphic novel, Pedro and me. And when I finished it, that's when I decided, you know, this is, this is how I should be telling stories. Hmm. Um, so I owe that to him as well. I never would have done anything I'm doing now or for the last 20 years if I hadn't told his story first. So among many, many things, I owe him that. It is a, a testament to his legacy, but to your ability to tell his story. Um, I told you at the beginning of the podcast, you know, I had read your work. Uh, I mean, I made no secret about that. I read a lot of your comic work. Uh, and then found out that you were the same guy from the real world. Like I didn't, when I read it, I didn't know. And, you know, we didn't live in a social media age. It didn't exist like that. And uh, Daryl Hamilton was a former uh, major league baseball player. He was my radio partner uh, in the two thousands. He, when he retired from baseball, he hosted a radio show with me. And then when the show ended, uh, we became the best of friends. And uh, he was killed in a murder suicide in 2015, right when I had started the Hall of Justice. And I had also started this other podcast called Sports with Friends that I, I thought was going to be a podcast with me and him. That was our plan. We were going to start a podcast together. And then he was killed. And it, it in no way uh, mimics Pedro's story. It wasn't that. It was I was dealing with grief and I was already a fan. And mm-hmm. I said, wow. And I knew, you know, I had done some reading and I knew that you were the guy from the real world that was friends with him. And then he died and you became an advocate on his behalf. And I knew that. And then I saw the graphic novel and that's when I read it. And even though Daryl wasn't gay, he didn't have AIDS. There's no parallels. It's not that it was. I felt your grief and you equated it so eloquently that it was a remarkable story, but I'm glad I read it then and not when it came out because when it came out, it wouldn't have clicked with me the same way. And I thank you for writing it. And I just say that it must be something you are so proud of, regardless of what your career takes and the paths that it takes, the journey that it takes, you should be so proud of what you did for that person. And I, I just, I cannot, I cannot thank you enough for writing. Well, for starters, thank you. Um, secondly, uh, I'm very, very sorry for your loss. Um, and uh, I do, I, I do understand what you're saying completely. Uh, and also about, uh, you know, the, the commonality of grief. Yeah. Um, especially a sudden loss um, and not, not to diminish, not to, to diminish people who, lose people when they're at the end of their lives. But no. there is, no, no, but there, there's a difference. There's a difference when, you know, somebody in their 80s or 90s who has seen their children grow, who has led a full life and then who uh, then passes away. It is sad. It is heartbreaking. It is not a tragedy. Um, it's, it's they, 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 you know, they've had their time. Um, and the people who love them have had their time with them as much as medical science can allow us, you know, when, when, uh, 
But when people are taken from us before before their time, it's it's a weight. You know, it's it's a weight. I mean, it's the way I always describe grief is, is it's a weight that you carry around. It doesn't, you don't get past it. It doesn't become any lighter. It just becomes incorporated into who you are. You carry it around. Um, and with that, you do get stronger. So every day, it isn't something that knocks you over, um, but it's always there. Um, so I understand that uh, completely. Do you mind? And, what what I don't mean to cut you off, but one not last question about it. Sure. Do you how do you tell your kids about it? How do you tell him about the real world and about Pedro? Oh, and it's not well, just it's, you; it's your wife too. I'm sure. Yeah, no, no. And for that for that reason, no, it's like it's two of us. You know, the, the real yeah. world's in this household every single day in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, it's it's been a part of their lives for as long as they can remember. They've never seen the show yet, by the way. Uh, because it's going to be weird because mom and dad are dating other people on the show. So it's weird. So we're going to let them get there eventually on their own. But um, as long as they've been alive and sentient, strangers have come up to us to talk to us. Wow. And the conversation began early on, which is like, who is that? It's like, I just, uh, just some people like, are they friends of yours? Like, no. Like, why, why do they, why do they hug you? It's like, well, they, <laughs> they, they kind of know us from, from television. Yeah. We did this television show and, you know, and first we explained it in a way that they can understand. And then very soon, you know, it's like, why was, why was that person crying? It's like, well, they're talking about our friend Pedro. Remember we talked about that on this TV show, we had our friend Pedro and Pedro died, you know, and you've seen his picture. I mean, his pictures of him up in our house. Yeah. So he's very much a part of our lives. Um, and when they were old enough, they read the book. Um, and they know things and like, um, uh, one of our closest friends, Eric Chisulo, um, who we met uh, through Pedro and uh, and Pedro's partner, Sean, when we did the show. Eric's part of our lives and he's been our friend for 27 years. And he married us. You know, he mm. got he got our date so he could marry us. So I'm saying, and, and, and there's other people, you know, we're still in touch with Pedro's family. So his presence has always been felt um, as well as the real world. You know, this is just yeah. this thing we did, um, you know they went from being curious about it to also seeing some of the fun currency you get out of it. Uh, I think the very first time when my son and then later my, my daughter would tell the, like, almost the same story would just mention, well, yeah, my parents were on the real world and watching a couple of adults turn to them quickly and go, what? <laughs> it's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like who are your parents? Uh, Pam and Judd, like your parents are Pam and Judd and watching adults get excited about something like, yeah, that's kind of cool. And for a couple of years, they would trot that one out just to see what happened. Just like, yeah, my parents were in the real world. Like you need to be cool. You need to be cool and not tell everybody. Okay. And like, it's not every time that a restaurant comes, I mean, sometimes I have restaurants and like, you know, the chef will send over a free dessert or something and, you know, um, or things like that. So, so much of this, you know, the nonsense part of it as well as the important part of it which was pedro um is still very very much very very present in our lives for sure that's amazing um i appreciate your candor i appreciate your honesty and your openness and i know the audience does uh speak for the audience as well uh for doing so and i'm I know the, the episode was really complete when we did the comic book stuff after you made your bold Spider-Man prediction. I could have <laughs> wrapped it right there, uh, but I'm glad I brought it up. And I'm sorry to the folks. You know, I tried my 2021 uh, New Year's resolution was to do shorter podcasts and 
there's no fucking way. There's no, <laughs> there's no way. Not when you have guests like this. You can't. You can't do it. Um, social media. Um, is it a hindrance? Is it a help? You know, as somebody who's an independent contractor, somebody who's writing stuff that you want to be consumed by mass audiences, is social media a help, a hindrance? How do you how do you take this drug? Uh, let's see. For starters, I would love for social media just to disappear tomorrow. I, <laughs> I, I would like I would be very curious what happened if the entire planet took about four months off from social media just to see how we would do, you know, because <laughs> um, it, it's it's feeling a lot like it's you know, we're, we're, it's, it's actually for worse, not for better at this point. Um, yeah, I know it's bad. It's, it feels, it, it, it routinely feels like it's bad. I mean, there's so much stuff about it that's fun, but we routinely get right to the bad right away. Uh, you know, it is really truly that we just can't have nice things, can we? You know, <laughs> uh, you know, everything from just like nerdy stuff is fun. Um, but then people have managed to make it like incredibly toxic. Uh, and it's like, dude, it's like, you know, this is make-believe crap. <laughs> it really is. These are make-believe stories uh, that, you know, entertain people, maybe move people. And sometimes they inspire people. Sometimes they, they get to feel like they're seen and whatnot. Do we really need to get, like, ridiculous about this and misogynist and racist? Ah! So that's just on the nerd side. We're not even getting to the politics, son. Um, so... <laughs> I would be curious if we could, if we could all just, just go away. I, I will say for, for me, um, you know, every week I get, uh, um, you know, DMs from uh, direct messages and whatnot from parents uh, whose kids love Hilo. You know, oh, they made, the, yeah, no, they made their own Hilo shirt. They, uh, they're, they're, they're showing them, they're reading the seventh book and they're complaining to me, where, where's number eight? I mean, this is every single week. And, wow. um, you know, I used to get fan letters way back in the day but the ability for a mom and dad or whatnot to take a picture of a kiddo and then send it over to me via you know via email or uh or actually it's, it's always just twitter or instagram uh occasionally facebook um it's a lot of fun it should be more fun than it is it really should it should allow us to do more yeah you know it's 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 one of those things where you know i've met I met you because of social media. I've I met Prince because of social media. There's 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 things that social media is wonderful for. Um, I you know social media wasn't around when Pedro died, but when Daryl died, social media was amazingly therapeutic. It was amazing to hear from strangers saying, "Hey, I used to listen to you guys on the radio." was was awesome. Like all all that stuff was was really great. So I hate thinking of something that I loved being so toxic well that's i think i think is. i think you just you just kind of hit it on the head right there that's the beautiful thing that can happen yeah is that there can be a community that happens pretty quickly yep. i mean for for us i mean this is the way i mean you can speak to this when you lose somebody you want the whole world to mourn that's what it feels like it feels like 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 people should be hanging their heads. Their days should be dark. We can't just go about our lives like nothing happened. And for almost everybody who loses somebody, that doesn't happen. The world spins on, strangers don't know or whatnot. When Pedro died, millions and millions of people knew about it and were mourning. And that was very therapeutic for us. Um, as Absolutely as hard as it was, it was pretty fascinating to experience the fact that everyone's going through it. 
And I, th I think for like yourself, you lost someone who's very, very important to you. And the fact that people you never met, never just, met. just never. reaching out there, it, it does matter. It's weird that it shouldn't matter, but it's helpful. And it's, that's the best part of, well, that's the social part of social media. Right. You know, it's, it's, we get to do those things. It'd be nice if it happens more. I mean, I know it happens every day, but you know, the bad stuff seems to, seems outweigh it oh, on a regular the basis it's the the, the algorithm you wants go. you to see what you know what yeah. you'll see worse uh how can people find you online sir well speaking of social media just just come, come find <laughs> now me that he twitter. ripped it to shreds how to there you <laughs> go yeah come find me on twitter it's judd winnick come find me on instagram it's judd winnick um you can uh facebook's a little harder because i'm kind of full up on the five thousand friends but yep. there is a uh, judd's pillow fort uh, which you can uh, you can like and then follow everything on Facebook, um, and uh, and I'm there and and, and, I, and I and I and I post every pretty much every little thing going on in my life, um, so you can find us that way. Well, if there's anything that you folks uh, heard uh, in today's podcast that you have any issues with, I ask you uh, follow. Keep it to yourselves. Uh, Just keep Judd it to yourselves. Directly and we don't want to hear the hell about out of it. <laughs> <laughs> Chud, uh, thank you so much for doing this. I'm so glad that we uh, we connected here. Um, this was a real treat for for anyone who subscribes to this podcast and myself. Uh, I really, really had a great time. I hope you did as well. And let's do this again next year. Let's you know after the new year. Let's let's come up with something else and let, let's do another episode because this was really really cool. I'd love to, sir. Thank you. This was excellent. Thank you again so much for taking the time for me. I really appreciate it. That is Judd Winnick. Uh, one programming note, uh, the show comes out on Thursdays, and next Thursday is Thanksgiving. We are not doing an episode. So you're going to sit with Judd Winnick for the next couple of weeks. We'll be back in December with all new episodes of the podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. We will see you in December. Believe it or not, I'm walking on.